Alright everybody, welcome to Full Throttle Podcast. This episode we'll be discussing the 30th anniversary of Black Moon Rising and The Wraith. Both cars are focused around um, experimental cars, I would say. A kit car, I don't know what you would call them. I, um, maybe I should just do the introduction part. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm stupid. I don't know how to say words. <laughs> <laughs> and the co-creator of this show, my co-host. Ron, how's it going, Ron? Rock and Ron! I'm going good. Yourself? <laughs> Apparently, I'm having a stroke while trying to open this episode because I couldn't get a thought out. <laughs> Dude, what's it called? They're not called experimental cars. What are they called? You know, it's like Concepts. Concept cars. Idiots. I drink too much. That's what my problem is. I, I was just like <laughs> sipping on some Jack for breakfast, and I was like, I don't drink the wrong stuff. stuff. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so let's start off with Black Moon Rising, a John Carpenter production. Uh, something that I think he lost interest in and uh, got a deal with New World Pictures to produce two movies for them. He did this and The Philadelphia Experiment. And, uh, Love that movie. Yeah, b- both are actually pretty good. I did not like Black Moon Rising the first time I saw it. I think my attention span is awful already, but when I was a kid, they cranked that up by 10. Like, I would not sit still for anything. And I think that I couldn't deal with like the slow noir feel of this. Eh. I don't know. I really liked it. I, I, I loved looking at the star ratings on it, and it said it didn't do. I don't know. It's kind of like a fifty-fifty, but I really liked it. Did you? Own but maybe this that's movie? the kind of movie I'm into. No. Okay, I must have borrowed it from someone else because this is one of those titles. Uh, when New World Pictures went under, uh, Star Maker ended up buying their entire catalog, and then you'd always find them at Kmart for like two ninety-nine, and. Uh, Star Maker ended up becoming Anchor Bay, which is a strong genre company now. But the one thing that always bugged me is once the VHS cycle ended, Star Maker became Anchor Bay, and they started doing these DVDs, and they would always do at least a couple decent special features. You know, have a commentary track or a making of. I mean, even for like right. some of the smallest movies they had in their catalog, there is nothing on this DVD. I've been wanting to know more about the history of this, and yet I cannot find, I can hardly find anything outside of like Wikipedia. It sounds like we're at the boat I'm in. Trying to find anything on that car was ridiculously hard. I think the director <laughs> is still alive. I feel like I should try and contact him just to get even like a small interview with him. Because um, right. he did this. Uh, did you ever see Malone with Burt Reynolds? The one where he's like in that small uh, like mining town. And it's it's basically a western set in the Can't. 80s. Uh, he did that. Can't say I've seen that one. He did that one. He did an excellent movie called Pilgrim, which uh, goes by a different title in America with Ray Liotta. I think it's called Inferno. And then he did Warlords of the 21st Century, which is like Mad Max, but on motorcycles. That's going right. down to like the most minute thing. But it, Have he, we seen... Is that one of our movies from the high school days? No, in fact, I never... One of our, one of, no? You might it have sounds seen it. very familiar. I might have seen it. But. Yeah, you might have seen it, but I didn't get to see it until about seven years ago, because it's one of those that uh, was out of print forever. Forever. Gotcha. <laughs> That's his stroke coming in there, too. You yeah. might want to wipe that drool off. Uh, Sorry. Uh, so, Black Moon Rising. Uh, here's the first thing that will catch your attention, is Linda Hamilton's insane wig. Which I didn't know was a wig at first. I'm like, what is going on? How did someone let her on set with this thing? It looks like she part of me was thinking, block. what was the '80s? So I was, my first impression is that it was a wig, but then I'm like, it is the '80s? Yes. They got away with a lot of 
weird thing. <laughs> lots of shoulder pads, lots of hairspray, lots of, like, that makeup doesn't work at all. That's not subtle in any way. No. <laughs> this is like a quintessential 80s movie. I love movies where you watch them, and they are a time capsule of when they were made. This is ideal mid-80s. You have the, uh, the new wave electronica kind of soundtrack. You have yes. the neon lights, the, the, the noir look started coming back, which I think basically we've seen the best of it in Die Hard, where they use shadows and light and stuff like that. Um, of course, like we said, the style. Tons of shoulder pads, hairspray. Um, this is back when gangs would be of all colors. That's the weirdest thing. Right. In the 80s, gangs were inclusive for everybody, and then all of a sudden in the 90s, it just turned into like, well, no, they, they're all one race now. It's like, that's no fair. I wanted to be in a gang. <laughs> Always wanted to be a Black Panther. And they, no, they, always, they always had like Mad Max kind of clothing too. Like there was like these right. huge spiky uh, uh, like football shoulder pads, but they had like little spikes on them. They had like little paint on their right. face. <laughs> that was the eighties, people. If you really want to know, watch any of the Death Wish movies because that epitomizes what they thought gangs looked like. Right, right. And so basically, this boils down to the uh, two stories colliding: is uh, Tommy Lee Jones is a thief hired to steal a computer disk. It ends up going into an experimental car, which is being worked on out in the desert with um, it's William Sanderson and uh, there's a, a Richard Jekyll. You know, he used to be in all those old like '60s and '70s movies. He always used to be like the cop or the military guy. Mm-hmm. And um, the third guy played uh, Billy the Kid in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Those three are the ones doing the experimental car. And basically, he played Billy. The... Which that? one was that that played Billy the Kid? He's the one that raced. The car. He's the one with the blonde hair, the good-looking kid. Okay. And then William yeah. Sanderson is um, Larry from uh, Newhart. Right. right. And uh, Richard Jekyll is the older guy, basically uh, running the whole show. So he puts the disc inside the experimental car, but the experimental car gets stolen. Actually, I guess there's three stories because then there's Linda Hamilton and her thief group, and they steal right. these high-end cars. And there is a sequence where we see all the cars in one room. That must have made you drool. A little bit. <laughs> I love scenes like that where they go into some, like uh, in the Green Hornet movie when he's showing off all his cars and the camera's panning around to all of them. You're like, I'll take that one and that one. And you know what? I'll take all of them. <laughs> the only thing I did, yeah. oh, the over the top FBI is a uh, Bubba, Bubba, Bubba Smith. Smith. Well, I guess, oh, I guess technically gosh. that's Canada's acting. There's <laughs> this. I don't know. I guess everyone thinks it's the movies. What can I say? Yeah. I guess the FBI, you know, they're all jerks and they all, you know, <laughs> borderline criminals. Uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, and Tommy Lee Jones ends up hiding the disc inside the experimental car. The car gets stolen by Linda Hamilton and her group. And then Tommy Lee Jones meets up with Linda Hamilton. Uh, she takes off that crazy ass wig to reveal that her hair is still pretty 80s. It's still really poofy and sprayed up, so not much of a change. <laughs> just not like jaw on the floor, like, what? And basically, so her previous wig must have been really hollowed out. Yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like as if they fitted over a football helmet first to make sure there was enough room. Uh, and basically, they meet up, they, they uh, get in a relationship, and then they go plan to steal the car back. And um, I think it's funny that the bad guy in uh, Black Moon Rising, Nick Cassavetes, is also the bad guy in our second movie, The Wraith. Did you know oh, did I totally miss that? Of course, the main villain is Robert Vaughn, who has this, this way of sticking out his jaw and his glossy hair and just seems so pretentious. 
Did I? How did I miss that? I don't know. I mean, he's not a huge part of it. I think he's in about ten minutes of it. He's the one who runs over the the deaf guy, and then he is okay. the one that yeah. at the end that surrounds him and Linda Hamilton shoots him in the head. I'm ruining the movie, yeah. everybody. Sorry. <laughs> okay, you don't even have to watch it now. <clears throat> <laughs> it's actually um, part of a six pack called Guilty Pleasures Collection, and I was looking at it and I'm like. <clears throat> All right, so there's Soul Man, where C. Thomas Howell plays in blackface. Okay, that's definitely guilty. Uh, Reform <laughs> Schoolgirls, all right, that's guilty. Fraternity Vacation, I, I haven't seen it, but that sounds like a, a guilty pleasure. You know, it's just like a mixture of a bunch of crap. And then it's uh, and then uh, Black Moon Rising, which I don't think is really crappy. It's just of its time. Right. It doesn't sound like it fits in with those other no, guilty pleasure most movies. Of, most of them are comedies. There's a couple of them. I think there's Night Patrol, some like Naked Gun-style movie, and something else I can't remember. But, um, Naked Gun. This, yeah, they should have fit this one with something else from their catalog. New World had done the Wanted Dead or Alive movie with Roger Howard. I think that would have been a better fit. Yeah, definitely. Or hell, just put it with the other John Carpenter movie he did with them, The Philadelphia Experiment. Both would have been a good double feature. Right. Now this I'm going to have to dig that one out again soon. Yeah, John Carpenter didn't do the music for this one, which surprises me. He just wrote it and produced it. Hmm. I think at this time he was in the middle of Big Trouble in Little China, so I'm glad he chose that movie to do. I watched this so long ago, I can't remember what the music was like, to be honest. Because I was, oh. I'm so overtaken by the music but from The Wraith. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you couldn't hear that when I was playing it at the beginning of the episode? The oh, I heard it, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely loved the style. I just, I don't know. Anyway, I, it's been a few weeks since I watched it. So. Yeah, Lalo Schifrin is the guy who did the music, and uh, he's basically known for breaking out with Enter the Dragon. And then his career started mm. to fall slowly downhill, and he started doing music for um, there's a TV show that I absolutely adore, and I don't know if you will remember this. Uh, it was called Danger Theater. It was a parody of uh, like 70s action shows. It had The Searcher with Diedrich Bader, and then there was, uh, I think, some... Uh, one West Waikiki, I think what it was, with uh, Adam West. It was just a, a play on like all these cheesy old TV shows. And he did the music for that. And then when I watched Rush Hour, he did the music for Rush Hour. But you hear themes from Danger Theater in the movie. So I was like, you lazy jerk. <laughs> you could have right. done something new. <laughs> That's just it. You really listen close to a lot of uh, composers out there, and I'm not knocking them down by any means, but You'll always find elements yeah. that they they they, re, they rehash. Um, Danny Elfman, I love him to death, but he does a lot of the same things here and there. You know, there are times when I'm like, uh, "This is a bridge that you stole from a movie from eight years ago. You just reused it." Right, right. But then again, I'm not I'm not that creative musically at all, so I don't know how hard it is to come up. I mean, for good exactly. Okay, if you think I about couldn't it, do it. If you were to take the entire ACDC catalog and crush it down, take out all the songs that have the word uh, rock in it, hell, <laughs> and um, you'd have twelve songs. Well, so I can't. as a uh, <laughs> budding bass player, I have come to realize that most of ACDC's repertoire is. The same bass line. Maybe different speed here and there, but the same bass line. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's okay. Got off on a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, this movie didn't do that well. Uh, 6.5 million, but I think it found an audience on video. But still, the company that did uh, this movie and a ton of other really great little movies during the 80s went out of business because they just 
just didn't find the right niche. The only two movies they really had that were any hits were uh, Hellraiser and House. And after that, they started spending a ton of money for some reason, like as like a last ditch effort. They're like, we gotta do this. Go for the long haul. They did uh, Heather's, which bombed. Uh, Meet the Applegates about giant talking co uh, cockroaches, which of course bombed. Because who? I, I don't. I don't see anybody going. Yeah, I'm gonna pay to go see that. I'll spend the night. I'll get a babysitter. And um, the Punisher, which um, was god awful. The one they did with Dolph Lundgren ended up costing them everything and went straight to video. Which cockroach one were you talking about? Meet the Applegates. Okay. Yeah. So Joe's Joe's apartment or something. <laughs> oh no 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 that bombed. That was a great movie. It's awesome. We've been here for half a million years and we'll be here long after you. <laughs> and that completes our musical portion of this. <laughs> oh, God, it's strange that I will never forget that. Okay, uh, this is a side note real quick. Um, uh, okay, so one of the guys that is in Joe's apartment, he plays, what is it, uh, Joe Shit or something like that. He has a really stupid name. Um, I'm actually friends with him on Facebook, and I was talking to him about a TV show that you and I watched, and it was only on for a few months. We watched it freshman year of college, and do you remember Okie Dokie Ba? Do you Vaguely. remember there was a line in a TV show where he said, Okie Dokie Ba, and for some reason we thought that was hilarious, so we repeated that to each other for the next couple months. Nothing? Right. Nothing? I must have I must have wiped that out of my mind. <laughs> oh, boy, that's bad. Because when I told him that, I go, oh, yeah, that was from the first episode of the show you did. And he goes, you're scaring me, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, that's a Some of the you, things you that I bet he tried to wipe it from his mind, too. Do you remember yes. Okay, so you remember that. All right, that's from a different TV show. But, um, all right, that was a tangent. All right, everybody, uh, anything you want to say about the vehicle about uh, from Black Moon Rising? Well, I'm gonna let some people down on this one, I think, but I tried. I tried really hard. And if you know where I could find more information on this wedge, I would love to find it. Uh, most I know is a, is a designer named Bernard. I'm gonna butcher this. Beaujardin. Beaujardin. Anytime you can't pronounce is something, it cough as you're saying it. That way you can get away with it. <laughs> Beaujardin. Okay. <laughs> Okay, the most I gleaned from the from the interwebs was that it was powered by a VW Porsche 914 engine, and it was designed by Bernard Bouchard, and, and that's all I got. Now, that sounds like a metal song. Bouchard. 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 <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, guys. I anyway, my throat out. <laughs> okay, so to make up for my lack of information on that car, now... What's his name? Quint, Tommy Lee Jones' character. He did drive a 85 Dodge Daytona Turbo Z I don't, in, the, in the vehicle. When he wasn't driving that thing, he was driving this thing. Uh, that car was, I can give you the information on it, a little bit I know about it. Remember John in college? Uh, yes, the one that ran the, his dad ran a hotel or something like that. So, no, no, John had the probe. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Morton, actually, that had... The Daytona. Uh, you know what? You're right. You're right. I remember driving it. I think it. so. Anyway, so you've driven it. I've driven it. It was a nice little car. This car was ahead of its time. It's one of the, it's one of the first cars, like back when GM and Ford were moving to, or was still in carbureted engines, they were making, Chrysler was making the move to some um, multi-port fuel injection and put more electronics type stuff in their car. Whenever they did. In fact, this is one of the first cars that 
although it was a bit, a little bit dumb, I think, because every time you open the car door with the key turned on, it would tell you that your door was ajar. Your What's door up with is that? Ajar. No, it's not a store door. <laughs> your door is ajar. Your door is ajar. It was always a pleasant voice too. Was, your door is ajar. I was like, yo, right. hi, pay attention to your door. It's open. Dummy. <laughs> Put your seatbelt on, dumbass. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> um, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, it led that. Um, believe it or not, this car was based off the. You know what the K cars are? Are you talking kit little cars? Short, oh no, 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 K cars. Uh, Chrysler K cars. No, I have no idea. There's just this little short, stubby. <laughs> Actually, if you watch in uh, our next movie, a lot of the cop cars. Now, they were various different models, so we won't go into that, but some of them were K-cars. They were the shorter, wheel-based, um, squared-off body-looking things. Anyway, this car was based off of that ugly thing, and um, except that it had a shorter wheelbase. Uh, at this time, the muscle cars that Chrysler was putting out were ridiculously priced, and the modern man or the normal man couldn't afford them, so they were trying to come out with something a little more sporty, and then enter the Daytona. And it was a pretty decent little car. You could get 22 miles per gallon, which was awesome in the 80s. And still got a little bit of performance under the hood. So, but and that's about all I have in that. Um, there's a lot of information I can give you, specs, what have you. But we got a long list of stuff for the next movie, so okay. I'm going to move on. <laughs> the next movie is the race. <laughs> How long can I... You think people get tired if I just did that constantly? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. My voice is back. It's absolutely amazing. All right, our next just... movie is The Wraith. And I, I finally found... Um, so, I gotta say, the soundtrack for The Wraith is not available. It's never been released, I guess. So, I just kind of looked around for it. I had to look for the individual tracks, you know, on, on people's albums, which I think is strange. There's a lot of movies from the 80s that soundtracks were never released. Not even on vinyl. Uh, I kind of get why Black Moon Rising wasn't released. It's, it's Back then, people weren't really into film scores, unless it was John Williams. But, you know, this is when heavy metal was king, you know? People were really, like, digging right. this stuff. So you think that the company would have released it, but I'm going to guess it comes down to the fact that uh, New Century, uh, I think it's New Century Vista Film Corporation, uh, they're a really low-budget company, so uh, I don't think they had the money to license that or no one cared because they hadn't heard of this, but I went and found it on Ozzy's album, and here we go, my favorite track from the movie. discussing the wraith now this is going to be the big chunk of the episode because um i will say i can probably watch uh black moon rising again maybe like 10 years from now but the wraith is almost mm -hmm. an annual thing now for me it's, it's much more than an annual thing for me so i didn't know that in fact i think i believe well i like this movie so much and you knew that because you purchased for me at one point or another a poster i did i don't for even remember the that did i don't have it hanging up because i want to frame it but i want to 
Did I find it at a video store? I feel like there was a video store in Vincennes that was, she said something about uh, she was cleaning out the closet. She found like hundreds of movie posters and we started giving them away like crazy. And we had like this huge stack of like 50 of them sitting in our room and we're like, I don't, I've never even heard of any of these movies. Let's just throw them away or cut them up for art projects. What was I thinking? <laughs> this movie's a problem. Those posters no! are probably worth like hundreds of dollars. Okay, so I think that is actually where you got it. I think I had ended up with ended up with a tombstone poster as well. Yeah. And uh, what was that one with Gene Hackman and uh, it was a western. Oh, Quick and the Dead. Quick and the Dead. I think I have that one too. Yeah. I, I remember our dorm room was covered in posters, and right. uh, I don't remember the wraith being up there, but I remember uh, you know this being a really significant movie. We watched this. Um, I think it was one of the very first movie parties, if not the first, because we went to Robert's house and we rented Highlander 2, Point Break, mm -hmm. and The Wraith. <laughs> and I don't think we ever got to watch Point Break. We waited till like the next night or whatever, and uh, we just like I think me and Robert just watched that. But I remember watching Highlander 2, thinking this is amazing. As an adult, I was like, this isn't this is confusing. I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> I need to sit down and watch the Highlander movies again because it's been probably since college that i've actually watched those yeah well we have another podcast called video night where we do uh, a series called franchise frenzy where we discuss every single entry into a, a franchise and i've been holding off on doing highlander because i want to discuss it with you because i think we went and saw like three of them in the theater together and i thought yeah. that, that has to be the best person to do this with because there's so much confusion with that series so gotta watch every one of them twice <laughs> <laughs> We need to get on. There's ways of watching movies on your computer with someone somewhere else. We need to figure that out. Yeah, That'd well, be fun. if I had the proper internet, that's the biggest problem. Oh, I live crap. in the sticks now, and I live at a place where we share the internet. That apparently the internet's from 1998. I sh I kid you not that there was a moment the other day where I saw the picture scrolling down. Do you remember that? Like in 1998, 97, we first got like AOL. And you were like loading up a page, and you're like, arr, 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 oh arr, arr. no! Yep, that's what it turned into the other day, and I wanted to cry. I was like, I'm going back in time, but not So, a is good this way. your new, your new favorite pastime? Is sitting there making the noises, the old AOL dial-up. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> I don't know where I went there for a second. Anyway, all right. So the rate. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's Charlie Sheen coming to town where there's a basically like this gang that uh, goes around muscling their way through, getting whatever they want. They've done some horrible things in the past. You don't know what it is yet. And uh, they they do these car chases, and they're always like kind of set up. You know, there's some angle yeah. they're working so they can always get away with stealing the car or winning the car, I guess if you want to say. And there is a supernatural being coming through town taking vengeance on everything you know what who cares about spoilers we know this movie's like 30 years old and yeah. um you haven't seen it what's wrong with you yeah stop listening <laughs> go watch it then come back uh basically charlie sheen is back from the dead as this wraith he's in a souped up like robocop style suit and the most badass car i've seen on film ever and basically wipes out this entire gang uh i thought it was funny that he never wiped out uh clint howard well, I think he didn't. He didn't movie. know. <laughs> true. <laughs> no. No. That being said, was Ron Howard attached to this project at all? No. I didn't think so. That's like 
and I could be way off on this, but this is the first movie I've seen where he wasn't involved where I've seen Clint. Well, there, um, <laughs> during the late 70s, early 80s, Clint Howard was actually something of a cult actor. Uh, you know, he had gone through his rough phase growing up past uh, Gentle Ben, which he was a household name because of that show. Uh, right. But then he was in Rock and Roll High School, and, you know, Rod Howard's very close to Roger Corman, and I think that he had cast Clint in one of his <coughs> movies, like, I think, Grand Theft Auto, and so he was known in Roger Corman's house, and Roger Corman reuses a lot of the same actors. He doesn't have to go through the audition process. Yeah. He knows what he's going to get. He can save time and money. Definitely. And we know Roger Corman's all about saving money. And so after Rock and Roll High School was a big hit, you know, Clint Howard became kind of a thing. So he would show up in horror movies mostly. And, you know, of course he would show up in his brother's movies. But at the right. time of the Wraith, he was still a viable thing to cast. You know, like he wasn't, I would say by the 90s, Definitely. he was a joke. You know, people considered him kind of a, um, you know, lowest common denominator cult actor. Uh, he still I always thought he had good chops. He I mean, does. it's just yeah, I I think think... the way he looks. I think that's the only reason. Yeah, and that's like, I wasn't meaning to imply that he couldn't do anything without Ron. I just, I, I don't think I've seen anything of him without a Ron attached to it. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a bummer because if it wasn't for the way he looked, but then again, would he even be acting at all if he didn't look that way? He has a very particular style of acting and a look, yep. and people go for that, but he always plays kind of off the wall kind of guys, goofballs. Right. And in this well, one, I mean, his wig. People that's in like. What? Yeah. His yeah. wig is epic. It's almost, I, I don't know, it's a contest between Linda Hamilton's wig and his wig, which is the most outrageous. I've been seeing, like, tandem, like, uh, what do I want to call it? Um, I don't know. Correlations, relations, whatever the heck you call it. Don't you hate it when you know a word and you want to sound smart? Yeah, I do that all the time. I actually make up words. The flabba nabba simum. Uh, the you know what I'm saying. Anyway, between the two movies, uh, tried the comparisons, maybe. Anyway, uh, and that was one of the things that popped out at me. Okay, we got the hair here, we got the hair here, we got you know it's the '80s. Okay, we got the '86 cars. We have the uh, everything's Chrysler. I mean, <laughs> what's going on here? But, <laughs> well, I like the poster for the Wraith because it's so misleading. On the front of it, you see Charlie Sheen with a girlfriend, but then the villain is behind him, like they're buddies. And then what looks like John Cusack. Or I, actually, I think that guy might be Asian, but he has a belly shirt. Do you remember belly shirts? Guys could get away with having cut-off shirts, like it was an okay, like <laughs> that was normal. Now it's just like, what are you doing, dude? He looks such. A oh, dork. that's Augie. Is that Augie? Oh, that's, that's right. Augie. I never realized that. Okay, I got an interesting tidbit on that one. On <laughs> we're always careful. We'll when get we to that, that word. Tidbit. tidbit. This movie showed a lot of. There were a lot of continuity errors in this movie that I would have never realized had I not read it on the internet and realized, oh yeah. It's like, August in general, like the scene where he pulls up, it's his turn to race, right? Okay. So he pulls up and Packard runs up and gives him his little bro high five or whatever that is. Um, Augie, as he walks away, Augie is taking his glasses off to put them down on a seat and put his helmet on. Yeah. Okay. Well then, uh, uh, what's his name? Skank comes up. Gang. And he gives him his little bro high five. And when he's looking into the car, he's got his glasses back on. And then the very next scene, he's got his helmet on. <laughs> like, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, film editing in this movie that just like things before they should have happened type of stuff. If you're really looking for it, but yeah, I feel like this movie I didn't was a care. little longer than it it 
what we finally got. I think it felt like they cut about 15 minutes out of this movie. I felt like it was a little rushed. Right. They're like, kids today, they don't have any patience. Ah, edit out anything. Ah, you know. <laughs> oh, interesting story on this. Okay, I'm probably ratting us out on this, but <clears throat> when we were in Vincennes, Robert, sorry for calling you out, bud. <laughs> oh, boy. He, he just got his Mustang. Uh, I don't know if it was the first one. I think it was his first one. It was the, the blue one with the white stripes. Uh, he came down and visited us a few times down there. And we were cruising town. And some guy comes up behind us, and he's got this, like, little, I don't know what brand. It was an S10 or a Ford Ranger or something like that with stacks coming out of the of the truck bed. <laughs> it's a freaking four-cylinder. But anyway, <laughs> so he flags us down, and we pull over, and we're talking. He's like, I've got a guy down the road would like to uh, would like to race. Was I with you? I don't know if you were or not. I think, no, you weren't. Dave was. Okay. Um. Because you know me, anyway, when it comes so... to cars, I got I do not, I, I have no balls when it comes to the car racing thing. I'm terrified. I was in a horrible car accident, and after that, I just got shy. I really got shy of it. I, in fact, I don't even drive anymore. Right. Well, I say, okay, first of all, let me put a disclaimer here. I do not condone street racing whatsoever. I've, I'm older now and wiser. <laughs> no better. But uh, when we rode down to this guy to uh, talk with the guy, of course, he wants, you know, you want to race for money. He's like, no, I thought you just want to do it for fun. Well, okay. Well, we decided not to. We left. But we went to a back road and because Robert just got this car. He didn't have, you know, its ins and outs yet. <laughs> so he wanted to practice. <laughs> we come back. We do our race thing and um, ended up losing, but only because Robert missed a gear. Ah. Sorry, Robert. If he'd have grabbed that gear, and like I said, he just got that car. If he'd have grabbed that gear, we'd have had him. But the guy had a Firebird. Um, okay, so Packard drove a uh, Corvette, but the Firebird looked very similar except for the blown hood of the other guy's car on here. And this is the first one. When this all started happening, it was going down. This is the first movie I was thinking. I'm thinking, oh, crap, they're going to take us out in the middle of nowhere. They're going <laughs> to... We're going to be left out there stranded without a car <clears throat> or worse. Anyway, yeah. after watching movies like Sorry, this, I'm surprised was... you even did it. But we were young and we were tempted. I remember once before the, the big car accident that I went through, uh, me and Robert did race with somebody in Huntington. But um, after that, we're like, nah, we're good. I, I remember just being the whole time going, ah, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but Dave didn't like it too much either. So. Yeah. Because he's not, in the back seat. Not an adrenaline junkie when it comes to that. If it's my own body, I'm fine. Where I'll do free running and jump over stuff and run into things. I'm fine. Right. We usually don't die from that. You'll break something, maybe you'll get a concussion. But I, I don't know. I'm just uh, the whole idea of destroying your car and being wrapped up and killed in the car just drives me insane. Yeah. I said anymore. That was like the only time that I recall ever actually doing that on the road. Any other time, it's been under controlled circumstances. Yeah, I I don't condone street racing. Let no, me no, no. reiterate that. Going to the, we went to that car race. Where, what, what time was that? Where there was a, a car race track that we would go to? It would just do was drag, it a drag strip. Yeah, it was yeah, drag it's Muncie. Strip. Muncie. All right, just curious. Mm -hmm. Uh, so the race, uh, like I've said, it was from a small company. These guys, I feel like they should have sold their movie to a bigger company because they actually had some good stuff. 
and um, they didn't have the finances to release these movies properly. The Wraith has excellent special effects. I mean, really good special effects. Um, the explosions. Actually, I think there's one major explosion that was huge, but everything on a technical standpoint is amazing. So you can see mm -hmm. that for a two and a half million dollar movie, which I'm not buying, that seems like it's way more than two and a half million. Uh, they, you really get the goods. You get a good cast too. Most of these guys went on to other things, and if they didn't, they're still highly entertaining. The Skank and Gutter Boy are the two most entertaining things in this whole movie. They kill me. <laughs> they, they are on another planet. Whatever they're working on. They they must have like rehearsed um, together like privately and, and did this or they're both just insane like in their normal well, that life, was just that bonkers. Which one was that? David Sherrill, I think, played Skank. Yeah, he. This is one of his breakout performances, I think. I don't. This is what. What else was he in? Put him I've onto the scene outside of this. I don't think. Uh, you've seen him and didn't know it. I was looking that up earlier. Um, you just have to look it up. I don't. I'm not going to try and find yeah, him all yeah. right now, but. Major League Two, for one, to name one. He was, was he, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Was he one of Charlie Sheen's boys? Like, one of his, like, entourage? Is that why he got a lot of work? He did, I think I read that he did five movies with Charlie Sheen. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, maybe it's part of his entourage, and they're really good friends. But, man, they, those guys should have, maybe that's why I don't recognize them, because they are so in character. I mean, to be fair, uh, one has a mohawk and stuff all over his face, so it's kind of hard to tell what it looks like. And the other guy is so greasy. It's like oil is just pouring right off him. I don't know. I don't want to do this. <laughs> what? I know I've seen him in other things. I just I haven't looked him up. Oh, yeah, he's been in, well, no, 25 credits. What, huh. what, is, what I think is funny is that Griffin O'Neill, who played Augie, and Chris Nash... They looked like they were going to be the ones that would have broken out after this, and they only acted for a few years longer, and that was it. They just retired in the early 90s. Yeah, some people get tired of it. And... Yeah, I've heard the auditioning process is just a nightmare. There are certain things I don't do that I want to do because I'm a chicken, is uh, uh, go into acting or do stand-up. Uh, with acting, you have to spend hours and hours in a room waiting, competing with guys who look just like you. And you're basically yeah. going out going, please, like me enough, accept me. It's like dating. It's, it's another thing that I, I have no taste for. I can't sit there and go through just uh, uh, that, oh, please, please take me home with you. Please stop me in your right. life. Uh, and the other thing is stand-up. I cannot be up there by myself with, like, 80 people staring at me and trying to get them laugh. And then one of them goes, get out of the stage, idiot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what be me. I was like, I, I guess I'm done. See ya. Now that I'm looking through these names, I'm seeing Stephen Eckholt. He was the guy in the Daytona at the beginning yeah, for like five just, seconds of the he show. He was on a lot of TV shows during the 90s. I, I, I think I saw his face a lot. A lot. So I'm just seeing 85 credits on IMDb. Just, yeah, I thought he looked very familiar to me. Yeah. You know, like I should know who he is. And I couldn't place anything. But Who is it that plays Jamie's brother? Because he was actually pretty good. Is that Billy? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah Billy Hankins. He's yeah. uh, Matthew Barry. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good, but I've never seen him outside of this movie. He is a casting director on a lot of movies. He does a few acting things, uh, gotcha. but he's mostly, well, I'll take that back. He's, let's see, interviewer. Nope. He's been in The Notebook, Alpha Dog, Rush Hour 2, Rush Hour. So he uh, still works, okay. Con Air. Yeah, and if you look at the main three, though, uh, Sherilyn Fenn, of course, was the babe of the late 80s, early 90s. Still not too bad uh, not too bad looking. I remember she was on a TV show where she dyed her hair, like, bleach blonde, 
And that was like, you just did the exact opposite of what everybody finds attractive about you. Some people like brunettes, and she just had it going. She had like an old style, like a, a 40s look to her, and I think that was really appealing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I didn't realize it. I've never actually watched Twin Peaks, yeah, but apparently that say. was her, yeah, put I, her on the scene type I of thing. I knew she was in that, but I've never seen it either. It seemed like one of those things. I'm a weirdo. I like strange stuff, but some reason... Uh, David Lynch's movies turn me off. I think his Dune is very confusing mm. and frustrating. Uh, I think Blue Velvet is probably the only thing that I can sit through. Other than that, it's just bonkers. Though I like, I can't make heads or tails of anything that he's that he's trying to say. David Lynch did Dune. Yeah, that's uh, his big studio movie, and uh, some people love it. I I do not understand. I prefer the miniseries, even though it's much much lower budget. The one that was on Sci-Fi Channel is way better. Yes, I I saw that too, and I'm really upset that that didn't take off and go farther or something yeah, you know like the second like it, series was even better better ratings uh better budget mm-hmm. better cast and for some reason sci-fi just said nah i like the first dune i really do uh because i really love weird stuff i guess but <laughs> fear is a mind killer but, uh, i will face my fear and i will let it pass through me i should say that just before i go on stage if i ever do stand up <laughs> and then everybody will stand up and walk out <laughs> <laughs> Don't or they'll be Muad'Dib. strangely intrigued. Muad'Dib. Muad'Dib. <laughs> yes. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, of course, this is that era, like we were saying, where heavy metal was huge. There is a movie that I always connect in my head that came out the same year, and which we both love, is Trick or Treat. Mm-hmm. So, yes. You know, you, know, you got Ozzy, you got Gene Simmons, you got, what is it, Fastway or Fastback? Do I have it wrong? Fastway? Fastway. Fastway. You know, this is when, like, heavy metal was, like, almost mainstream, but there's still something rebellious about it. And then, of course, the next year is when heavy metal became, like, like uh, not power metal, um, hair metal. You know, it became really glam, and I just couldn't get into it anymore. I like late 70s to about 85, 86 heavy metal, where it's, like, Dio and Ozzy and, and, and Iron Maiden <laughs> and stuff like that, where it had, like, sword and sorcery elements and kind of, like, a punk rock feel to it. Once it became about ballads and huge hairspray, I lost interest. Man of War. <laughs> Stand and fight! Sorry. There's one. Yeah. There is one. It's technically part of the hair metal era, which is uh, Dawkins' Dream Warriors. That I can yes. really get into. But for like the next four years, hair metal sucked. And then Warrant came out and uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin made me pay attention again. You're like, hmm? Yep. Something with yep. some depth. Not about party or poontang. <laughs> I must have been just a little bit out there or whatever. I don't know. I, I I'm very eclectic, so I never stopped liking it. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> but, I, I deep dived into alternative music once it came out. You were right. a little more hesitant. Some people yeah. were like were like absolutely no. It's and then like every once in a while they'd be like, well, you know, Candlebox is okay. I kind of like them. You know, all right, I'll give them credit. Allison Chains is pretty cool. But then other than that, like, oh, I hate alternative music. Oh, it's all about that song with the girl in the bee suit dancing around. The song about no rain. Whips. <laughs> I could never really. I, I used to, I liked certain Nirvana songs, but yeah. I couldn't really get into them because he's, he had that, that wave voice that just grated on my nerves. Looking back, <laughs> I can't stand Smashing Pumpkins. I can't stand Nirvana. And I kind of like um, uh, Pearl Jam still, but... I came back. I, I started listening to Megadeth again and Metallica and Oz and stuff like that. So when I listened to this movie, I'm like, oh, that's a good track. Oh, man, that's a good track. That's a good track, too. <laughs> <laughs> what I think is funny is that one of the songs in here was written by Stan Bush. 
who did songs for another movie, which I'm about, when I get done with this podcast, I got another podcast scheduled where I'm going to be discussing the 30th anniversary of Transformers, the movie. And um, Stan Bush did that song. You got the touch. You got the power. (laughs) I can't do falsetto, like at all. It's, I don't know. Why do I keep attempting it? It's horribly painful. Uh, Nick Cassavetes. The big villain in this. He played a villain three times in 86. Uh, like we were talking Black Moon Rising. This and another movie uh, with James Ramar. And I just had it in my head. We were just discussing it last night. And I totally forgot it till uh, right when it's necessary. So forget it. Pretend I didn't say this. Uh, Nick Cassavetes would actually go on to be a really well-known director. He almost, he came this close to directing Iron Man. Really? Yep. When New Line Cinema had the rights, Nicolas Cage was attached to play Tony Stark. Nick Cassavetes was going to direct it. It just could not get together because uh, at that time, of course, Nicolas Cage was much in demand, and it was hard to get it scheduled. And by the time it was ready to go, they realized it, their option with Marvel was up. So Nick Cassavetes was fired, Nick Cage was fired, and that's when mm-hmm. Marvel took it over and we see what we see today. And I almost have to be thankful because when I heard his name, I was like, he's a good yeah. director for actors, but not with action. I think all he had done at the time was John Q., and uh, that doesn't tell me that you can handle special effects. Yeah, I, was, I don't know how he would have done, but Nick Cage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I like Nick Cage because he's he's bat crap insane. He, he isn't really, or or he's completely disconnected. You ever notice that? He, it's never in the middle like a normal right. person. It's because well, I'm a treasure keeper, not a treasure hunter, like that. You know, or it's uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're just screaming and yelling and. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst. My uh, my friend Jacob can do the best Nicolas Cage impression. I'm not very good. I'm just really good. I discovered last night that if you start doing uh, Mr. Howe from Gilligan's Island, that if you drop it a little bit and give him all the southern twang, you know, you can switch it around and eventually get the Nicolas Cage. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's weird. I can do that sometimes. Like, I can go from George Bush. The first George Bush end up doing the voices from Underdog. I'll get that Underdog. <laughs> a thousand points of light. I'll get that. You're literally just shifting your the palate in your mouth. <laughs> oh wow! All right, so let's get to the deets on the cars. The deets on the cars. All I can say is, Mopar, Mopar, Mopars, and more Mopars. <laughs> <clears throat> This movie was like a big giant commercial for Chrysler, I think. Yeah. The opening, I thought it was really cool. The opening sequence, I didn't realize until I went back in today because I was trying to pull pull together some more facts on the, the continuity issues. I wanted to check it out for myself. I'm looking at it at the intro. I'm like, no way. You see, it's built just like an 80s car commercial. <laughs> I half expected him to say, coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> to a Chrysler dealer near you. Anyway. <clears throat> only a little more rock, 80s rock type sound yeah, vibe yeah. to it. Anyway. On this list of cars, I'm not even going to touch. We're talking about a 1965 Barracuda, a 70s Dodge Monaco, 86 Dodge 600s, 82 Plymouth Grand Furies, 86 and, and an 87. There's another continuity error. Dodge Daytona Turbo. The Daytona that's at the beginning, uh, that the kid loses, uh-huh. the white one, it has dual headlights at the front, Weird. like uh, quad headlights, I guess you call them. Um, 
But the car they're stripping later in the movie is the next year's model, which has the flip-up, the 87 model, has the flip-up headlights. Continuity error. Now, it, it could possibly be another Daytona, who knows, but anyway. <clears throat> so there's that, there's the Shadow, the Lancer, the Plymouth Grand Fury, and the list just goes on indefinitely, probably. But the coup de grace, obviously, is the Dodge M4S, stands for mid-engine, four-cylinder sports car. It was called the Turbo Interceptor, but a lot of believe they did, wasn't. A, it was only called that because of the movie. Uh-huh. After the fact. Anywho, uh, this car was actually developed to be an IndyCar pace car uh, by PPG and Chrysler. Uh, it cost them about $1.5 million to make. Woo! There was only... That's like most of the I don't know if they had movie. other cars. <laughs> right, right. This car's one. There's only one of them. <laughs> so... They talked to Chrysler, and they, they, they made a deal, whatever. They brought them over the molds with Chrysler representatives, of course, and the original car, and they made – now, this I got five, I've got six. I, I'm going to settle on six bodies. They they made molds of uh, – six molds of the body. Four of them were used for the more traumatic scenes, if you will. Yeah, the explosion <laughs> scenes. Right. And then two were put on actual drivable chassis. Uh, here's why I say, this is where the movie companies like, ha ha, Christ, or thanks for your molds type of thing, <laughs> but they're mounted on VW chassis <laughs> or ran like <laughs> uh, with ran by a VW that. engine. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was <clears> waiting for them to. Yeah, wow, I expected something a little bit stronger than that, but I guess if they're gonna destroy the car and blow it up, they just need it to run. All right, those those were for the racing scenes. What? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, well, I guarantee none of them went over like 40 mile an hour. Yeah, probably. you're right. Camera tricks, they can speed it up. Although I've seen some places where they said, they, they swear that the speedometer on the vet never went over 55, so they may have at least made it there. Uh, let's back up for a second. Did you notice how many scenes in Black Moon Rising were sped up? Yes. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's jittery. That's not normal. Okay, all right, hold on. <laughs> well, if I had more... Well, they want to make it sound look like it's really, really fast. But the whole point behind the car was that it's supposed to be ran on water in the movie. Yeah. The actual thing is ran on water. It never said anything about it. Although they did break a speed record, That's, I guess, at the beginning. See? Opening scene. So, anyway. But, <laughs> but speaking of speed, there's a video. And I'll, um, when we post this video, or post this video, when we post this podcast on YouTube, we'll put a link up there. Uh-huh. And I'll... But it's uh, them doing the speed test on this car around their track and whatever. It's, it's really cool. Not, not the movie people, obviously. It's PPG and Chrysler. But uh, we'll put that on there for those who are interested. This car, okay, it's a 2.2-liter four-cylinder. Very reliable little engine for the 80s or mid-80s maybe, uh, except for the occasional uh, head gasket need to be replaced. But <laughs> that's probably more from kids driving it like it's a big muscle car when it really isn't <clears throat> but this particular 2.2 liter where do I, where, I lost my information there um sorry okay. zero to 60 time of 4.1 seconds in zero to 60 time top speed of 195 mile an hour wow. considering the the top turbo would make about 224 and that was a in production turbo 2.2 liter so 440 horsepower in a four-cylinder. 
Now, granted, it had twin Garrett T25 turbos and a Cosworth-built 16-valve twin cam head uh, on it. And so this thing was tuned to the max. Um, obviously, there's more to it than just those, but... Uh, Dang it, lost my thing again. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I, 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 my train of thought is all over the place. Most people notice this, so we're good. That's it. Oh, oh, okay. The the creator, the guy who built it. Um, again, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> While you look for that, let's just say this. Mike Marvin um, actually had a lot of potential. I thought he was going to be a great director. And I guess there was an accident from the commentary track. He said there was an accident, and he was blamed for it. And then after that, no studio would hire him. The best he could do what? was a, a handful of like maybe TV episodes and a couple of really god awful, no budget direct to video movies. Uh, and that's uh. it. He had a lot of skill and talent. And because of one thing going wrong, he is he is never really going to work again. What accident? I well, I haven't listened to the commentary track in a while. You have it on your disc, um, but he says towards the end of the movie that there was an awful accident. I believe the movie is dedicated to somebody, but there was an accident and uh, he was blamed for the death of one of their stunt drivers, and nobody would touch him after that. Right, well, that sucks. Yeah, listen, you have the DVD. Listen to the commentary track. It's really um, definitely it's painful listening to the end of it, talking about how it just things went wrong and. Uh, you know, it's not like one of those purposeful accidents, just something like in a timing went wrong and the, the stunt, someone got killed. People get killed in stunts all the time. It, it's a danger that they do for our entertainment. I still think it's insulting that there's no Oscar category for stunts. For stunt drivers? Yes, yeah, definitely. For makeup, but stunts, I mean, I, I don't understand why it is that they have their own separate award show. They should be included in the big show. The unsung hero. How does it? Fall Guy words it? <laughs> Where's Morton when we need him? <laughs> okay, the guy's name was Gene Winfield, and that's all I have on. He's pretty good. He's pretty well known in the car building circuit. So, anyway, that's all I have on that one. All right, I think it's funny whenever we discuss something, we think it's going to be shorter. But I, I, I hate rushing right. myself, but I do look at the time. It's fifty-one minutes. Time to wrap this up, everybody. Thank you Woo! for joining us for the show. We are now into year two. I think actually the last episode of the first episode of year two, but we started this back in January with, what was it, Airwolf was the first episode, and then we did Dukes of Hazard, and there was a moment last summer where the episodes were not taking off. You know, we did the Magnum P.I. episode, the Miami Vice episode, and just, there was nothing there, and I was like, I don't know if I should continue doing the show, you know, and uh, thankfully, I mean, it was just the, su the subject matter or the timing. People have come back around for those episodes and uh, definitely supporting the new episodes. The last couple have done very well. So yeah. we will come back with the TV shows next time around. But I think after that, I think we only have like two more episodes with TV shows that are worth discussing. Worth discussing. We had a list right. of like 12 more shows. But I was like, nah, ugh, no, no, no. no. Uh, That's a 10-minute show right yeah, there. No, like, <laughs> I don't really want to talk about Renegade. It's like, yeah, he had long hair and a motorcycle. Uh, we're done. Moving on. Um, so we're going to be discussing movies probably after that for the rest of the show, and then we're going to transition over to sci-fi shows. If you listen to the show normally, I keep warning you. Like, I don't want you to be shocked. Like, what the hell happened? Uh, <laughs> and usually we have a theme song from the show or movie we're discussing, but I have been itching to play a song, which we'll play at the very end here, which I think is perfect theme song for our show. But uh, check us out on Facebook under Full Throttle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, saying be excellent to each other. And my co-host, co-creator, Ron, send us out. 
Send us out? I don't know. Hasta la vista. Keep the shiny side up. Yes. And remember, remember, kids, no street <laughs> street racing is bad. Yes. <laughs> keep it uh, legal and keep it exciting. And uh, here we go with the, the song that I've wanted to add as our theme song. But I know this band is really litigious, so I've never been, like, full up about it. So here we go. Let's not get sued. Let's, let's hear it. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. everybody to full throttle podcast this episode will be discussing the 30th anniversary of top gun and iron eagle i'm your host michael my co-host as always what's up ron clouds lots clouds. and lots of clouds oh nice funny you're a smart ass today huh <laughs> <laughs> yeah just not just today oh that's right it's, it's, it's i can bring this every day it's a full-time job you gotta be dedicated right. you gotta be a professional <laughs> that's right all right everybody this will be a little bit quicker episode than usual we're just going to discuss real quick uh 30th anniversary of top gun and iron eagle like i said before and it makes me feel very old <laughs> i'm saying the words 30 before these because i saw uh wow huh. really i saw iron eagle in the theater 30 years ago that's so strange i didn't see it in a theater unfortunately yeah um I think it's funny Top Gun, that, I did. Yeah, well, Top Gun, I wasn't allowed to for some reason. It's rated PG. This is the weird thing. It's rated PG. But um, I remember everybody's seen it over and over and over. I mean, this, of course, was a phenomenon. $176 million, I think, is what it made. And back then, that is, like, uh, probably in the top ten of all time. You know, we're talking Avengers money here. Uh, and, and people were talking about it at this pizza place my dad was working at. And I was like, you, you've seen this movie four times? I've never even seen any movie four times. I've even seen Star Wars four times at this point. And I was like, I gotta see this movie. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't see this movie. It's, uh, there's, uh, there's nudity and sex in it. And I'm like, there is? Oh, all right. Then like three or four years later, I caught it on HBO. I go, there's no nudity or sex in this. What did they talk? I think in their head, they had perceived it that it was filthy. It was not R-rated. It's PG. What, what were they thinking? <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> exactly. I think uh, it's funny because... Uh, movies back then, the 80s, they could be PG or PG-13 and have nudity in them. And clearly, at no point is there like, oh, at least side side nudity, nothing. It's it's just a straight-up action movie with love in it. Well, there's one love scene, but yeah, you don't see anything. No, no, it's all shadows. and you know, It's Ridley Scott. He's not like one of those guys that does that. I don't think he really ever shows nudity in his movie. Not really Scott, sorry, Tony Scott. Unless you're one of the millions of women drilling over the volleyball scene. Yeah. But anyway... <laughs> that could be considered nudity, I guess. It, I'm sure there's some rule in some country. No me al nipple. No me al nipple. <laughs> I could just skip past that part. Yes. Anyway. That's funny. I don't remember a volleyball scene in this movie. <laughs> um, you know, of course, this movie was the one that everybody was talking about. It's the huge phenomenon. Everybody started wearing leather jackets and getting excited about air shows and wearing the aviator glasses. Uh, I kind of skipped over all that. It wasn't really part of my world. I think I, one is because I didn't see it at the time it was released, but two, I'm not I'm not really a huge fan of this movie. 
Which one are we talking about again? Top Gun, right? We're talking, okay. Yeah, uh, Top Gun. Sorry, everybody. I should have said that first. But um, I was a huge fan of this movie growing up. This is what made me want to become a pilot until I talked myself out of it <laughs> down the road. But, uh, too many people were telling me, well, yeah, you got to be the best of the best. You got to be part of the Aryan nation. No, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Huh? That's weird. Someone said that, or you just made that up on the spot? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. That'd be a weird thing the, to say. The, you got to be in top physical condition to be a fighter pilot. I oh, mean, yeah. And I just never saw myself being that ever. Well, you can still be a pilot. <laughs> I mean, you, yes, you just yes. have to be a jet pilot. Oh, you wanted, to, you wanted to serve. I wanted to serve. I wanted oh. to be a Navy pilot. Wow. I couldn't even get up in an airplane without, like, oh, stress. I need some, I need some anxiety medication. You know, I've been in a plane, I think, four or five times. Uh, most of those were in a tiny little plane that my Uncle Vance owned. And I knew him, so I knew that he was under control. But if it's anybody else, or if I'm in control, I know I'm going to crash that thing instantly to the ground. He didn't launch. He, he already crashed it. I don't know how it's possible. <laughs> you remember my uh, friend Doug, down at Vincennes? Yeah. I went to school with him when I went to uh, Central Noble. Um, he went down there to get his pilot's license. So he flew me home once and took oh. me up a couple times after that as well. Yeah, I remember that. I'll tell you what, it's... it's it's nice when you get in a plane and you're home in an hour and a half. Yes, yes. Don't have to drive through Indy and <laughs> four uh, and a half hours yeah, cramped in a tiny the, car. Um, how many more hours to go? Is it, I feel like we've been on this forever. We just got in the car. It's been six minutes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> um, so this is also, Dave, why'd you have that taco? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so this movie, of course, is one of those movies that certain people really lock into. Uh, I always felt it was more of a jock mentality with this movie, which I think for authenticity, it kind of makes sense. I feel like a lot of guys who are fearless, who are like tough guys, you know, they, they kind of have that jock mentality, you know. Uh, and of right. course, me being an uber nerd, I couldn't really get into that. But you remember, you remember my roommate, Brian, uh, he would watch this almost on a daily basis. If anybody knew how to kill a movie forever... It would be it would be him because he killed Top Gun, he killed Footloose, Kingpin, uh, Rudy, uh, all these great movies. Uh, and uh, it, uh, really, we're gonna watch. It. Okay, it's the 80th time we're gonna sit through this. All right, here we go. Let's see. Eighteen, Fall Guy. Yeah, there was a lot of that. We watched it every afternoon, but at least the episodes changed. When you're watching the same movie over and over, you're just like, oh, yep. Here we go with the same. Oh, movie. here's one guy. I credit off to him because I can't the life of me right now as much as i watch those shows cannot repeat verbatim the intro to either one of those he could sing the whole song for fall guy he could do every word for the a-team and i can't remember anything he could do that intro where that guy is sitting there uh, with the guy that played right? Colonel decker on a-team was does the narration at the beginning of airwolf and he knows every single yep. detail and you're just like how do, I, I don't even remember how to tie my shoes some mornings I'm like where am i again i don't know oh my god how much did i drink it's Velcro. The secret oh, is Velcro. Oh, really? Oh. <laughs> and uh, you can totally hear my water bottle while recording. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the cast. Let's talk about the cast okay. of Top Gun. Uh, this is a moment that saved Tom Cruise's career. I don't think he would have been in Dire Straits, but you know, Legend at the time was not a hit. Uh, it gained a big audience later, but it was a massive flop, and it had been, I think, a three-year gap between Risky Business and Top Gun. And people are like, where's he been? What's he doing? All of a sudden, he shows up in this, and it's the biggest thing ever. It becomes like this megastar. And 
I, I would say if no, he no. hadn't if he hadn't done Legend though, I don't think he would have been in Top Gun because uh, Ridley Scott directed Legend and his brother Tony directed Top Gun. Has to be a recommendation in there somewhere. Right, right. Legend was. Now that you mentioned that, I think that's one I actually. No. When did that come out? That came out, I think, see, February of '86, maybe March. '86. Okay. No, I probably saw that on VHS. <laughs> <clears throat> At least you didn't say anyway. Oh, I saw it on CED <laughs> video disc. <laughs> Everyone, half our listeners are going, what? Well, it's a VHS. Now, I'm pretty sure most people remember VHS because it's That's like uh, records. Everybody knows what a record is. Not everybody had them, but they at least recognize what it is. It was, if you were to right. hand them a laser disc, they're like, um, who uh, zapped this with the enlargement ray? What's wrong with this DVD? <laughs> <laughs> You'd be like, you want a platinum record? What? Uh, and then we had Anthony Edwards, who is, I think is everybody's favorite character, because Tom Cruise is kind of a jackass for most of the movie, and if it wasn't for Goose, it's hard to sit there and deal with him, because you're like, this guy's kind oh, of yeah. a dick. Yeah. Definitely full of himself. Yeah. Which uh, is important to the character, because he does have to come around from being, a, you know, just like a uh, arrogant jackass, you know, doing stuff, not listening to anybody. He kind of has a, po- a punk rock mentality with what he does. But at the same time, yeah. you're like, oh, you're that, that football player I hated in high school. You have that kind of attitude. And if it wasn't for, I mean, spo- if this is a spoiler, um, you really need to get around to watching this movie. Uh, when Goose no dies, kid. it really changes everything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that would, if that doesn't change you, you, you got other problems. Yeah. But You've lost you a happy just... feeling. <laughs> oh, yeah, man, that's I right, wanted that's to fit right. that in so badly. <laughs> What's surprising thing? I see uh, Val Kilmer's character in here, Iceman. He's he come off as me as this air. It's the same kind of arrogant guy, but when it comes right down to it, you can see the facade that he puts on. Yeah, which a lot of I want to say a lot of jocks do. Um, why can't you just be yourself, sort of a thing? But well, you know, when also, you're just following the crowd, and I actually side with Iceman for a great deal of the movie because if I was looking at someone else that's joining the team and they could screw things up because they're being so cocky. Uh, I would yeah. be pissed too. And I would be like, what, what, what's up? What's your deal, man? Why don't you get your act together? Right. You know, it, it, he actually, from a, once you finish the movie and rewatch it again, um, I saw it from a different perspective as Iceman being protective of the rest of his team. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's what I saw. Conclusion I came to as well. I just, maybe it's because I've seen him in too many other movies where he is that cocky uh, you know just yeah, but he's not the fun cocky i love the first right, right. two the first two movies that val kilmer did uh real genius and top secret he's having yes. fun he you're with him with the 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 wisecracks and everything like that and then it's like with the exception of willow which he still kind of hones the spirit of his first couple movies after that is when he started getting really serious and method and weird <laughs> right and sometimes why do you have to go and do that? He does. He did win with to, um, uh, Tombstone. Uh, absolutely fantastic. But oh I think, yes, I think the success of Tombstone destroyed him, because everything after that had to have been some huge big budget movie where the action was more important than the character. So you look at uh, Batman Forever, which at the time people loved. I cannot stand it now. Uh, Ditto. The Saint is all go 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 go. No real characters. Um, you know, it's just like, it was like that. Uh, Ghost in the Darkness is good, though. I like that one. I did love Ghost in the Darkness. Um, there was another one that was on the top of my brain. 
Island of Dr. Moreau, which is one of the worst, hideous messes I've ever seen in my life. That's where I was going. I, like, then there's that. Then there's that. I mean, he was... Uh, it's I, like I, he was channeling Brando. Yeah. Oh, I think he was mocking Brando. I think he was sick exactly. and tired of his BS. Uh, I right. still feel like there is a lot of potential to Val Kilmer. Like, he could have a comeback. But I've been hearing weird oh, yeah. rumors that he's very, very ill. Uh-oh. So, that's a bummer. Right. Not to bring everybody down. Sorry, everybody. Um, you know, and I haven't seen Meg Ryan in forever, but this, is, I think, is... I mean, she had done a couple movies before this, but this is where everybody knew who she was. Right, right. Um, Kelly McGillis, I really have not seen much of her since this. I, she was in Betrayed. Not Betrayed. Um, crap. She, the one with Jodie Foster. Uh, ooh, where they both got nominated for our Oscars. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, but after that, she kind of faded away. I, um, what I've heard is that she just never really cared for acting, but she was quite good. The Accused? That might be it. Was the it accused? The, the Accused? Right. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at picture of Kelly McGillis now. I'm like, Nah, I'm not gonna go there. Nope. <laughs> uh, we love we love Kelly McGillis. No, I, I do believe that, I do believe that she's out. Uh, I think she is uh, openly gay. Um, she was actually really good in this small horror movie called Innkeepers. Uh, it's a, it's a cast of three people in this hotel that's closing down. It's like its last weekend and it's haunted, and um, it's a really good character piece you can find on Netflix. Absolutely terrifying, and. Um, who else? Uh, Michael Ironside's in this. Uh, I think that's the first time people really saw him outside of V. Uh, and um, Well, he was in Scanners, but I think that was still kind of a minor hit. Michael Ironside is like the epitome of that uh, take-no-shit kind of like leader. Right. I don't know. I probably haven't seen as many movies with him in it as you have, so I'm probably cherry-picking here, but it seems like a lot of the movies I've seen him in, he's always been the bad guy. So when I watch this again, I'm like, I'm thinking... When's he going to pull some crap, you know? I know. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he has done a lot of uh, villain roles. I think a lot of it is because he was in uh, Total Recall, which was such a massive hit, and people just started casting. Right. When you are a character actor, you have two choices. Uh, once you have a breakthrough performance, you can slow down and cherry pick. You know, you can be very careful, or you realize there's a lot of character actors out there. Take all the offers you can while you can, because it may dry right. up. We've seen a lot of people who play villains do a bunch of movies right afterwards, and then that was it. Michael Ironside, luckily, is still around. And uh, uh, what I remember around this time is that he had done uh, Extreme Prejudice with Nick Nolte, which he's very good in. Uh, Highlander 2, which he's completely insane in. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, Starship Troopers. Um, and he took over for Roy Scheider on Sequest. Uh, you know, he was always like... Right. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, he, he just one of those guys that shows up, does his job. He was on ER for a while. I remember that. I think he was on for a couple seasons. But um, I always know that whenever, whatever, no matter how bad the movie is, you know at least he's going to show up and do what he needs to do. Yeah. Same thing for Tom Skerritt. Um, I had never even heard of Tom Skerritt before this because, you know, I was nine or, yeah, I was nine at the time this movie came out. So he was like one of those guys who had worked a lot and just somehow I had never seen anything that he had done. Apparently, was it, who's the other one? Well, the... It's it's awesome, you know, obviously 30 years. It's been a long time since I've seen this from the get-go, and I've seen a lot of movies between then and now. And I saw that Adrian Pazdar was in here. I'm like, oh, right. I'm guessing that's a, right around the time he got his start, it looks like. Yeah, I think he um, had, I can't think of anything he would have done before this, but of course, after this, he did Near Dark. Right. 
Yeah, I'm looking at yeah this first listing here for a movie on IMDb is Top Gun. And then he, wow. he did Near Dark, and then he did a couple independent movies, and he would just pop in and out of television. Of course, everybody knows him now. Solar Babies. Yeah, oh, Solar Babies. Oh my God, I forgot about that one. <laughs> I forgot about Solar Babies. Oh, the roller skating anyway, futuristic. Um, what? It's like a roller skating futuristic mess. <laughs> Tim Robbins is another one I I totally forgot he was in this movie. What? Tim Robbins is in Top Gun. I don't even remember that. Who is he? He's Merlin. Yeah. Crap, I didn't know this. <laughs> um, one of my favorite uh, actors, he doesn't act much more, he's more of a director, is John Stockwell, who was in Christine. He is, uh, oh, I can't remember the character's name, he's the very first one, the one that panics and ends up in the office and, and decides to leave the program. Yes, yes. And, okay. Uh, you know, he was in a, um, uh, oh, I can't remember the name. Uh, he was in something else around this time that I really liked, too. Uh, it's a post Cougar. radioactive dreams. Uh, nobody's really seen this movie. It's a po post-apocalyptic film noir, and it's a lot of fun. It has dance numbers and comedy and giant monsters. It's it's wild. <laughs> we love giant monsters. <laughs> I do. I, I'll take kaiju, which is Japanese for giant monster. Uh, pretty much in anything. <laughs> I will. I will watch like a romantic. Uh, Harry Met Sally. I'm like, damn. When's the monster gonna show up? <laughs> That's where I've seen him. I'm oh, sorry. I'm looking through. Uh, John Stockwell's listings here. He was in North and South. I knew I'd seen oh, him in something right, that I've yeah. seen many times. And okay, anyway. Um, yes, I watched North and South. I watched North and I South the too. There is no shame in this. It's actually a fantastic story. Besides, you know, it's yes. a little soapy. It's a little soap opera. Right. It's got David Carradine. It's got Michael Dudikoff. It's got Patrick Swayze and like twelve other people I don't remember. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it is. It's around the Civil War, and it's one of my favorite era. I don't, yeah. You know. Anyway, we're getting off tangent, I guess. But. Why is it you think there's been no sequel to this? Do you think they've been waiting around for Tom Cruise this whole time? Nah. I don't know what else they would do that they didn't already do in our other movie we're going to yeah, talk you know, about they here keep in a talking minute. About it. And when a movie makes $176 million, there's almost always a sequel. I think the only movie I can think of there wasn't a sequel that was this big. Uh, you can count on one hand. you got Titanic. you got E.T. you got got... Uh, well, that, well, if Avatar 2 ever comes, which keeps getting delayed, and I could care less if there's an Avatar 2. Right. But yeah, so Top Gun is one of those movies. It's like one of the biggest movies ever made, and yet no sequel. But there was those video games for Nintendo that were crazy hard. Yeah, that sucked. Oh, my God. I wonder if he was just busy, busy, busy well, after yeah. this. Um, well, right after this, he did Color of Money, which was a massive hit. Uh not as big as Top Gun, but I mean, he got a lot of awards, and then he did Cocktail, which is another yes. movie that Brian ruined for us, <laughs> because it was every day with cocktails. Like, okay, here we go with Coco again. <laughs> a little bit of Rain Man, too, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Rain Man's after Cocktail, <laughs> and then he did Born the Fourth of July, um, Days of Thunder, so you're just talking movie after movie after movie, which were all fairly big, either they're well-received or financially successful. And um, I'm really surprised, though, because Days of Thunder didn't do that well, which is kind of a sibling uh, of sorts to this movie. And then he did right. Far Away, which wasn't well-received. you think right around then is when they would have got him for a Top Gun 2, but I, I don't know if it's a smart move or not. I think some actors who are big enough should wait on the sequels, because when their career starts to dip, they can go back in that well. Maybe save their career. Right. Did you think Far and Away would have been a time to do it? Yeah, right after Far and Away, because he didn't have much, uh, he wasn't as hot as he once was, but of course, then the next year, The Firm comes out, does a crazy amount of money, right. and he's back on top. I'll say a few good men, well, that's the same year, though. A few oh, good men. Wow, yeah, he, he's done very, very well. Even during that period where everybody thought he lost his, his mind, 
and uh, <laughs> you know had lost his mind, and you know it was all over with, and Paramount you know got rid of his contract, and then somehow he finds a way back. I think he's actually more interesting now than he was then because it's not about the cocky roles; it's about like these weird deep movies like Minority Report. And I, yes. I really liked his War of the Worlds. Uh, a lot of his sci-fi is really interesting. Oblivion and Edge of Tomorrow. Uh, yes. And, of course, the Mission Impossible series somehow uh, came back. The second one was so dreadful, over-the-top, like, slow-mo, guns everywhere. You know, I couldn't get into it. But all of a sudden, three's pretty good. Four or five, wow. Yeah. I, I, I'm on the opposite side of that. I didn't really like the Mission Impossible's pretty much all of them. But I have not seen the last... Part two is the only one where it's just like, seriously, stop taking off the mask. Stop doing the slow-mo with two guns. <laughs> but of course it was John Woo, so it's inevitable. We used to love John Woo. I used to lo- I used to worship the movies that he, he made. John Woo? <laughs> and uh, now I almost find it unbearable. Did you see Rock of Ages? I've not had a chance to see that I one yet. I watched part of it, but I got distracted. I never got back to it. Gotcha. The, uh, Alrighty. I would say the soundtrack's probably the most important part of this. I mean, this thing oh. sticks around. There are so many insanely popular songs from this. Faltermeyer rules. Whatever happened Sorry. to Faltermeyer? He had Beverly Hills Cop, this, and then uh, fast forward three years later, he's got, uh, oh no, he did Fletch. I forgot he did Fletch. And then there's uh, Tango and Cash. Pretty much after that, I have not seen his name. I forgot he did Axel F. That's... I actually liked what he did for Beverly Hills Cop 3. Uh, He knew it was 1994 and synth music was out, so he took the same score, but then he added a full orchestra with these huge horns. Ah, so nice. Love it. Everything's Uh, better with an orchestra behind you. Yeah. I guess uh, playing with the boys is probably um, one of the biggest hits. Of course, everybody remembers that because that's the volleyball scene. All the girls go crazy for that volleyball scene. And you know what? Fine. (laughs) During the 80s, it was like 80% uh, movies aimed at teenage boys. You know, like, oh, Porky's, uh, you know. Uh, uh, so uh, we'll, we'll give them that scene. Right, we'll give them one movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is there anything that you knew about the planes that they used? Oh, I, not much of anything, to be honest. Uh, you would think somebody who wanted to be a pilot, especially based on this movie, that would know more. Um, I can't tell you that... Uh, let's see, what are they? Northrop F5F Tiger Twos. These were what they were calling the MiGs. They were dressed up as the MiGs. That's what the, um, well, I guess they actually had some dogfights with MiGs actually in the movie. But um, the instructors were flying these planes as well, but they weren't actual MiGs. That's about as deep as I can get into that. But okay. um, <laughs> I had the other one up here. Uh, Skyhawk? No. Tomcat, that's it. <laughs> the F-14 Tomcat. If you don't know what that plane is, if you're a plane guy, then you're not a real plane guy, I guess. But <laughs> uh, we, we, we fumbled a little bit on this episode, because usually we have tons of details about each vehicle, but frankly, on this one, <laughs> they're so common. That's the other thing, is that these vehicles are extremely common. And, right. Um, it, it's not something specific where someone would go out and do like an article on it, or something you easily couldn't just find in a book. So this right. episode's a little light on that. Um, so I guess I apologize for that. Yeah, it's cool. I'm sure people are okay. If you've I listened think... to the show so far, you know every once in a while we're like really like 100 on the ball, and sometimes a little bit less. And this time, whatever, forgive us. <laughs> <laughs> what? I could go on and on about the specs, like he said, on the specs in these planes, but 
that's just to let it be. I'd be reading specs. Yeah. All right, everybody, we're going to and, take a quick break. And then, uh, wait, is there anything you want to say about Top Gun before we go? If you haven't seen it, what is wrong with you? Yeah, it's kind of surprising. <laughs> this thing's on TV like every other week. Right? But definitely pick it up this weekend if you haven't. All right, everybody, we're going to take a quick break and come back with Iron Eagle. Welcome back. We're going to be discussing Iron Eagle now. You can clearly tell by that music. And uh, this is one of my favorite Queen albums. You had this album, and we listened to this, I think, until it pretty much broke down. I don't know if you still have it or not. Yep. What, what's it I called? still have it, and it goes wow, wow <laughs> right now. Um, it's a Kind of Magic, right? Is that what it's called, the album? Kind of Magic? Uh, I don't know. It's, yeah, I think so. Is that the album? I think Let me so. Think. It's the one with the Highlander theme song on it. There's a bunch of really great yes. songs in that. But of all the Queen albums, uh, I can go for more Queen. I don't know what that was. That was insane. But I'm sure nobody's really complaining. It's like, no, 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 no. You guys stop talking. Keep playing that. <laughs> You're going to never have the most Queen in your life. No. Alright. <sighs> that was weird. <laughs> Speaking of, at some point we need to do an episode of my other show, Video Night, where we discuss the Highlander franchise. Because we were talking yes. 30 years, PayPal, 30 years, I'm so old, I have gray back hair. <laughs> Back in my day, we, we were... <laughs> we had one we Highlander, were... and he said he was the last, and then they had the Adrian Paul, and it got really confusing, because then there can be only two, what? What? Let's just go out and do some freestyle walking. <laughs> All right, everybody. Iron Eagle. with this crap. <laughs> do you think the Iron Eagle would have been a much bigger hit if it opened post-Top Gun, or was it for the best that it opened beforehand? Mm, I think it would have been overshadowed. I feel like... So I think it's good. You know, Top Gun had the bigger budget, huger cast, huger, larger cast. Uh, fast editing. Um, it just seemed like there was more going for it. Studio really backing it. Uh, Iron Eagle if people don't know, is actually an independent production that got picked up by a studio. Uh, Joe Wisen and Ron Samuels, uh, I believe this is actually from a short story, and uh, they had uh, TriStar pick up the negative, which it means is once it's paid for, uh, you know, it's already filmed, they look at it and they say, okay, we'll give you $7 million for American distribution. And uh, it costs, I think, $18 million, made about $24, Now, $24, $25 million back in the day isn't that bad, but $18 million is a pretty heavy cost. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. of course, before we get into it, but there, there were actually sequels to this, and that's the reason why each sequel is with a different studio, is because these guys own the rights, and they just took it to the next studio who would give them a bid. Of course, now that the first one is made and was a hit um, internationally, 
they can get somebody else to pay for it, but not as much. That's why you see the, the budgets like drop, drop, drop. And uh, our excitement level with the movies, drop, drop, drop. <laughs> <laughs> but this first one is uh, my preferred movie. I love Iron Eagle. There's so much earnest, so much heart. And the obstacles that these kids go up against is just astonishing. It's it's unreal. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that was kind of the 80s. There was like this blind optimism it. of the 80s. And if you watch the movies of that era, especially the ones that are still popular, uh, kids were doing things that nobody should be doing. There was, there was, first off, you got uh, kids saving an alien, you know, in uh, E.T. and Mac and Me. Let's pretend Mac and Me doesn't is not a, a, an hour and a half commercial for McDonald's. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and then you got Goonies. You got kids, uh, do, you know, getting treasure and fighting pirates and, well, modern-day pirates, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, explorers, they go to space. They build a spaceship and go into space. <laughs> I love that movie. It's so bizarre how we were just like, yeah, this is totally okay. Uh, or I can the rescue. Crash can rocket to go anywhere though. Yeah, sucked. Uh, <laughs> the rescue is actually almost. Um, I don't want to say a ripoff, but it's the same thought pattern of Iron Eagle, where the parents or parent is taken hostage, and the kids get together to go to some far place where they have no experience to save them. Have you ever seen that movie? Okay, I totally got lost somewhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, the rescue is Kevin Dillon and his friends. Uh, they go to, I think it's like Vietnam, and they go save their parents who are all like you know in the military. There is a special team, whatever, and they go in there to rescue them. It's actually pretty good. Not on DVD for some reason. Disney seems to have no interest in putting it out. What was the title again? The Rescue. The Rescue. Okay, that's why I was lost. I, was I've never hit. heard of it. Yeah, it was not a hit. I think it made about four or five million at the time, but they thought it was going to be like another Iron Eagle kind of movie, and it's mm. actually quite good. I'll and, look uh, that up. Um, Iron Eagle, of course, should have been the launching pad for Jason Gedrick. He did work quite a bit after this, but it was always really small movies, and... Um, I really thought this was like a perfect showcase to show that he could be a studio leading man, and it never happened. Right. Well, he still works from time to time, it looks like, but it's just bit parts. and. Yeah. You know, he, now he's gotten to the point where he's playing people's dads or the older brother or the, the older right. cop. But uh, he was in like show after show after show, which would get good critical buzz, and people just didn't watch it. Uh, I believe it was Murder One... Um, uh, some show like Brooklyn South or something like that. He was in Boomtown, which is one of the best TV shows ever to uh, get to a point where all of a sudden it went from fantastic, it took a break, came back, it was awful. I don't know what happened in that break. And, Dexter? Uh, He's in Dexter? Was yeah. he on Dexter? I didn't remember him all. Yeah. I, I haven't finished the show. I've only, I've only on season four, so maybe he joined after I stopped watching uh, 2012 okay. when yeah. he was in it. So. I think I've only made up to the 2010 season. And um, gotcha. he's a really reliable actor. That's why people still hire him, but I do believe it's getting to the point where people are like, everything he touches just bombs, so why do we keep hiring him? Eh, well, I guess we'll just move on, uh, which is a shame. It's not bad. I, guess it, I always thought he was good, but I don't know. I also don't listen to critics when I go watch my movies either. This is true. I do remember he uh, did not show up for Iron Eagle 2 because he was doing Rooftops, which was supposed to be this big like dance, musical kind of action movie, mm. and nobody showed up. It was a huge flop. In fact, I think if I remember correctly, it buried the studio that made it. Uh, I remember uh, this, is, this is where I got to jump. I remember making a comment on one of our posts on our website 
our Facebook page about, you know, stay tuned for why I don't like anything beyond Iron Eagle 1. Yes. Um, 30 years have passed, right? So, <laughs> or whenever, I don't know when Iron Eagle 2 came out, but the reason, the reasoning behind it I had then was because I was a kid. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, they got rid of Doug Masters. That was his character, right? Well, Doug Masters. I think there's more... They killed him. Yeah. I'm like, why? Why would they do that? I went back to Iron Eagle 2 because I'm thinking... This, but that being said, that was what I was basing it on. And then I actually watched the other movies. I found some time and watched the rest of the movies. Right. And realized they weren't as bad as I thought. It was just because I was a kid and was upset. <laughs> well, you spend the whole movie on this journey with him. Yes, Chappie is in all of them, right. but it's Doug's story. Chappie is there to help him. Right. And you go through all of this, and you, you, you triumph with him at the end. When he saves his dad, he goes up in these insane odds. And then yeah. you watch the second one, like, yeah, I want to see more adventures with Doug, because he's now in the military. He's probably going to go on these Top Gun-style adventures. And in the first five minutes, he's dead. And you're like, what? What? And this what? is this is back in an era where they would do this. Sequels would get made irregardless of whether or not they had the leads. You, you saw it all the time. Either they would grab like one guy, like a Short Circuit Two. You know, they just had the uh, Fisher Stevens, you know, the funny character, show up in the second one. Right. That's what they would do. They would just grab like one guy, and sometimes they would just ignore it completely, especially if it's if it's a horror movie. They'll just go, well, we just have a title. Let's just continue it anyway. Who cares? Um, right. I think that's why the Fast and Furious Tokyo, Tokyo Drift is so um, unpopular is because nobody from the series is in that one. I actually think Tokyo Drift is a pretty good sequel, but uh, if I was a fan of the series, I'm like, no Paul Walker, no Vin Diesel. So this is just a name cash-in only. Yeah. It was a little odd. To, what's it? Tim Taylor. Tim the Tool Man Taylor, his <laughs> son. was. Oh, was right. in that, and that which, just blew my mind. Which I think he's roughly 30 at the time, playing a high school student. Right. <laughs> uh, but back to, I but mean, yeah, it's yeah. Just, I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, we'll, we could, we'll do that another day. Yeah, uh, which we should, because it's cars, and it's part of this thing. We should discuss. Like in two, right? three, We'll do it in like two or three episodes. We'll do like uh, one, two, three, we have uh, four, to. five, six, and by the time we get done, seven, eight, nine. Um, but with Iron Eagle, it doesn't have as big as a cast. Like, some of the people would go on to other things. Like, you saw Shawnee Smith a couple years later. And, um, oh, my God, I hate it when I forget a name. He played Lamar in the Revenge of the Nerds movies. I feel like a dickbag when I can't remember an actor's name. Um, oh. You know, and then Robbie Rist from uh, yep. cousin, cousin Oliver in uh, The Brady Bunch. You know, you had some decent actors in there. and um, But none of them really blew up afterwards the way Top Gun would. And it's kind of we a got shame. Styles. Oh, that's right. Uh, Styles from Got Styles. <laughs> Who, Sorry. again, I can't, I could not tell you a single thing that Jerry Levine did after uh, this movie. Teen Wolf? But he's been, I he's been he, busy. That's know, a, right? definitely been busy. But nothing pops in my head automatically, because they even replaced him in Teen Wolf 2. Uh, Stuart Fragman right. took over for him. Uh, Why? But this also, this soundtrack, I think, is better than... Uh, than Top Gun, in my opinion. I love that song, Gypsy Road. Of course, we're not going to take it, being one of the best right. moments of that whole movie. I love a montage. 80s montages <laughs> were the best. Woo-hoo! <laughs> Let me see what we got here. Um, oh, shoot. When we go from... Well, they've got some 80s hair bands in there, too, that I've, I've never heard of. Yeah. Well, this is kind of that weird and, period where it's like, um, I almost feel like they were fake bands like they just hire some right. studio guys like you guys usually sit in on sessions right all right we'll just put together a band the same thing with the transformers movie 
Uh, I looked at the soundtrack for the Transformers movie, and I'm like, I haven't heard of any of you ever again. <laughs> well, the good thing is, whoever, if they're studio band or not, they were good, I thought. Yeah. To me, they sounded like someone who could have made it or did make it in other bands or something along those lines. But and I mean, anyway, half of those but, bands had the word white in it. It was either Great White, right? White Lion, White <laughs> Snake. You know, I want all of those guys to get together. Whoever's left is still performing, like perform, create a super band called Great White Snake, uh, Great, Great White Lion Snake. I, I don't care. It doesn't make any sense. There's no such thing as a lion snake, but go ahead and do it. I'm, I'm cool with this. We could do whatever we want. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if there's a movie called Sharktopus versus Piranaconda, you can create a super band with that kind of crazy name. We should do it. Yes. Uh, I can get a falsetto. <laughs> I'm really starting to jam the bass, so maybe, maybe we can do this. Slap in the bass. Slap in the bass. You remember in college when we I had the idea? I'm always an idea man. I rarely ever follow through. I got a guitar... And I was writing songs, yet I could not read music, really. Um, I had to look at pictures, and you had to teach me, like, the bare minimum. And in my head, I had all these band names. I'm like, yeah, let's get a band together. We started talking to, like, a drummer. Remember Dave that lived across the, the hall from us? Like, you're a drummer? Yep. And, we get, and then James was a guitarist. We're like, oh, yeah. And I'm coming up with names. And you're just like, because you knew that I'm this kind of person, so you just kind of, like, entertained me. Like, yeah, sure, call us Chaos. Uh, call us Bronson Stash, whatever, you know. And I did not practice very well. Uh, you got really good at guitar. I would just kind of, uh, I know two songs. We're good. I, I don't know how to do the basic chords. We're good. Uh, I don't, I don't want to practice. I'm so lazy. It's ridiculous. The fact that I've kept this podcast for three years now, people, uh, stuns me because I am a quitter. I am a quitter. Kids do not learn from me. Well. Be a Doug Masters. That's what you should do. Look at the odds against you. Focus on what you need to do. Learn what you need to get to that point. He is the hero. He is the guy you should be looking up to, not me. Any mortal worlds of King Cobra. Another <laughs> awesome band name. Never say die. <laughs> Sorry. You know what's funny is I wonder if people were wondering why Lou Gossett Jr. took this role on because he had won an Oscar for Officer and a Gentleman, I believe in 83 or 84, and, uh, and then didn't do any movies for a while, and then suddenly this. And not a lot of people know this, but after Lou Gossett Jr. won the Oscar, he wasn't allowed to do anything because he was tied to a, a, a contract to um, uh, The Powers of Matthew Starr. Do you remember this TV show? Never heard of it. It was on for one year. Uh, it was about an alien from another planet who was being hunted. He was a prince, and his people were being murdered, and they escaped to Earth, and Lou Gossett Jr. was his protector, and they, they hid in human bodies. But they had these powers. And I've only seen a couple episodes of it, but it was actually pretty entertaining. I feel like I should get back to it. But, uh, so here it is. Uh, he signed on right after finishing Officer and a Gentleman, not realizing that it was going to be as big as it was. You know, he could be the co-lead in a network TV show. But then the star got burned badly during the pilot. Burned his, like, burned horribly. His face, his hair, uh, his body, and uh, for a year he had, you know, like, surgery and, and, and got back up and running. Um, so, Lou Gossett Jr. was still tied to this contract after winning the Oscar. So, he's hot as he could ever be, but he can't do any movies. So, he, he finishes the show. It only lasts one season. Then he does a movie for HBO called uh, The Guardian, which is actually fantastic with him and Martin Sheen. Very hard to find. And then finally he gets to be in a theatrical film, Iron Eagle. Uh, it was such a weird, long process to get 
to the point that he did after getting that Oscar. Or was it an Oscar nomination? And then he stuck with Iron Eagle. Yeah, I, I, could, I could be wrong. It could be an Oscar nomination. I should look this up, but I'm lazy. Like I said, I'm I lazy. You can, you, can look it up. you can look it up. You have the internet access, too. Um, to see if you won the Oscar. I don't know. Uh, everybody, if you don't know this, I moved to the middle of nowhere, and I have no internet, so I'm doing this on my 3G. <laughs> I don't know why I do that. I'm trying to say hee-hee, but it always comes off as hee-hee. <laughs> uh... Yeah, so the first one is actually a phenomenal movie. It's one of the best movies of the 80s. It still holds up to this day. People say it's cheesy, and I don't get why. Do you find it's hokey in any way? Yeah. I, and the fact that it's totally unrealistic, yes, but <laughs> beyond that, it's fantasy anyway. I mean, this is the whole point, you know. This is things we could do if we, you know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just... As a kid, this is the kind of stuff you want to watch. It's like, oh, that would be so cool, you know, because it brings it down to our level. But I don't know. Not honestly, I think that's where it was aimed at teens. Yeah. So but still, I think it, it doesn't talk down to teens. There's no like severely nope. dated moments. I think a lot of it's because it was military based. You don't have any of those like shoulder pads or hairspray or earrings. Nothing that automatically goes, oh, this is 1986. Right. Oh, here it is. Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Okay, so he did win. All right. Uh, yeah. Of course, after this, he would do, like, Firewalker and a couple other movies, but none of them really hit. So, of course, he's going to sign on to Iron Eagle 2. It still weirds me out, though. Was Jason Gedrick too expensive, or did he just not want to do it? I have no idea. Because, I never. I couldn't find anything on that. Yeah, because even if Rooftops, at, at most, probably took three months, four months of his time, they could have waited. Uh, yeah. So the company that owned the rights, they took it over to Carol Co., which was a big company around this time, and they were looking for international hits. And Iron Eagle made a good chunk of cash overseas. I think it made the same as it did in America, but they had to cut the budget. But they did it on pre-sale, so I think they cleared, I think it was $9 million, $10 million to do the budget. And you can see the sequel, uh, the action sequences are nowhere nearly as elaborate. A lot of it looks like stock footage. Uh, the battle sequences on the ground... Um, you can tell are very small and contained. Uh, yeah. They're almost completely unknowns. Even if they were Canadian, like you could see them later, like Colin Fiore, he was a bad guy in the uh, Chronicles of Riddick and a couple other movies. For the most part, complete unknowns. And uh, reeks of back bacon. You could smell the maple leaves of it being shot in Canada. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Actually, I think part of it was shot in Canada, and I think part of it was probably shot over in the Middle East, because the desert sequence definitely looks like they probably went for two weeks to wherever. I don't know where they shot this thing. Israel? Israel, I think. Is that where they shot? Yeah, if I remember correctly, the one of the financiers was Israeli, but part of the reason he was funded is because they had to bring shooting there for a while. You know, bring money back into the economy. Well, that explains things. Because I was looking at the planes a little bit here, and then realized that the, the planes that they were using, the MiGs, that's supposed to be MiGs, those yeah. also are not not MiGs. They're Israeli planes. That makes a lot more sense. The, that makes sense now. Um, I thought anyway. for the longest time that the second one, I still feel it a little bit, is very mean-spirited. Uh, there's no real likable characters. Even the hero is kind of dull. Yeah. But it is an interesting concept, because this is right as... Uh, you know, Russia was falling apart. During the 80s, I mean, of course, Russia was like the big villain. Everybody loved the uh, casting Russians. I mean, how could you not like just be like, oh, these guys are irritating the Cold War. And uh, But by 88, it was pretty much falling apart. And having them come together for a joint cause was actually a, a pretty progressive idea. Yeah, I, I kind of liked it. 
um, blew my mind because, uh, you know, I had seen it many years ago, but I totally forgot the majority of what it was about. Um, who knows? Maybe I got so mad I shut it off. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I'm looking at the, uh, oh, crap, I can't remember his name. Um, one of the Soviet pilots. Well, the main one. Yeah, Colm Fjord. He's the one who you always see. Colm Fjord. Bad guy, like in Payback. Yeah. You no, know, Paycheck and Riddick and the wrong guy. He's one of those faces you see all yeah. the time. Uh, Storm of the Century. He's the main villain in that. Stephen King's. Yes. Uh, very good actor. Uh, what so I like, I'm looking at that. I'm seeing him. I'm seeing him as the bad guy. And I'm totally expecting him to just something's going on underlying. Yeah. Under the surface there, but it turns out he's actually he's just like us, you know, and. Uh, I liked seeing that. Yeah. Well, I also you know, it's the their perspective. They're, they're kind of he lost a pilot too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they actually explained that about the whole thing. It's like, yes, I was up there and I didn't want to be part of it. Just something. It, did, it does get out of control in the beginning when um, Doug Masters gets killed. He panics, which is a weird thing for him to yeah. do uh, because he seems so calm and controlled by the end of the first movie that you think he would be able to handle the situation. So right. it's something that just got out of control. No one's really the villain in this situation. And I also thought it was weird. They're a band of misfits. And for a while, it's like, how the hell did any of them stay? How did they get picked for this? And then when they revealed that one of the guys is actually a villain, you know, that he wants the Russians to remain the bad guy, that it's good for the military to have a villain that they're be spending on this kind of thing, that Glass knows yeah. is a bad idea. And you're like, oh, this all fits. <laughs> Oh, brother. And that's like the underlying theme on the majority of the movies these days. It has anything to do with our American military. Yeah. There's always someone <laughs> undermining it, trying to keep more money coming in. Right. I don't know. I won't get on that. Yeah, well, it seems like there should be some honorable <laughs> people in the military in movies. It seems like every time you turn around, it's like, oh. Right. <laughs> um, so the, the sequel, uh, of course, did not do that well in America. It did well internationally, but it did very well in video. So fast forward four years to Iron Eagle 3, Aces, which is my favorite sequel because it, uh, it changed the director. Sidney J. Fury is the director of 1, 2, and 4, and they all kind of have a similar feel. Part 3 um, is wildly different. It's kind of, it's slightly campy. It's almost comic yeah. y It's a throwback to old war movies in its attitude yes. and uh, a gung-ho kind of attitude, you know? Um, and I actually appreciate it. It's it's brighter. It's uh, the action sequences are low budget, but they're fun. He does them very very well. John Glenn was a director of many of the James Bonds with Roger Moore, and you see that flavor thrown in there. Right, right. John Glenn. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I'm about to go with you on this one because I really like three. Looking at it, I, see, when I watched it the other day, I realized yeah, I had to actually watch this like back in the day. Uh, I told you I hadn't seen it but honestly i think we watched it together yes we did so i just anyway i remember that scene where she's like cutting her her wrist trying to get up in the shackles anyway trying to get uh, my gosh i cannot speak today <laughs> <laughs> for a guy who's supposed to be doing a podcast i can't <laughs> speak <for crap. laughs> But anyway, yeah, Rachel McClish, I uh, she's not that great of an actress, but my God, does she's like cut like a, a, a iconic figure. When you see her on the screen, you know some something's going down, and it ain't good. That's like definitely, and that's a epitome of a lot of '80s. How do I want to word this? The women in '80s action films. Yeah, well, they all look like her. The problem is there was hardly any 
uh, action heroes that were female back then, and I really think that she pushed it forward. Just every everybody that's a, an action hero that's female pushes it just a little bit further into fairness. You know, women can kick butt. Oh yeah, no doubt about that. And Luke Gossett Jr., you gotta respect the fact that he just stuck with this series. He could have walked away, but he knew that people. Uh, by by part three though, you really do love his character. Two, you're kind of definitely. Eh. But three, man, you really get you really get involved in what he's uh, trying to do. I don't think that it would have survived if they had if he'd have walked away. Yeah, I don't think it would have survived. Um. So this one, uh, I don't. I think. I think it's what saves the franchise a little bit because two, I think, did leave a bad taste in people's mouth. The only problem is yeah. it wasn't successful. This is the last theatrical sequel. Uh, New Line Cinema had picked it up, and uh, I think it had run its course. You can see the budget's getting smaller. You know, they did a lot of like interesting cutaways to show that uh, clearly we have no money for this. Um, but they had a good cast. They had Sonny Chiba, Fred Dalton Ch- uh, Thompson, who rest in peace uh he used to be like uh like a law and order and he was a senator for a while um i feel like there's a couple other people uh oh dang it he's from magnificent seven he's the german uh he played the kid in the first magnificent seven movie fuck me um it doesn't matter i've not uh, seen it but it's one of those movies that moves very very fast i loved the old planes this one they're kind of renegades and they're not part of the military uh as you know as they were in the first two you know uh, as um Chappie has pretty much retired, and him and his friends do this show to entertain people, and they have all these great old planes. Did you get into those ones? Get into those planes? No, I didn't touch any of those, but I wish I had. It totally skipped my mind. If anything, I should have dug into those. But Yeah, because those are a lot of... I like old war movies, and this helps yes. uh, bring back the old... Uh, like, cereal. You know, the old cereals. Not eating cereal. S-E-R. <laughs> you know, like a cereal killer. Um... You know, that kind of attitude, and uh, this is, yeah, this is one that you should watch. If you're going to watch any of the sequels, watch this one. Eagle Aces. While he's looking that up, we'll discuss Iron Eagle 4, which is the final one, but there's a surprise in this one. Something saves yeah. this from complete and absolute mediocrity, because you can clearly tell this was probably shot for, what, a million dollars, maybe two at most, shot in Canada. Right. Uh, they're using like just generic planes, what, what, like Cess- not even Cessnas. I don't, I don't know planes at all. I'm making words up. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I believe it was a little Cessna. That don't get me on that one, but, yeah. but, they're, but they're <laughs> anyway, just, go on. They're basically your, your most basic plane. Like anybody could probably buy these, and they reuse sequences from Iron Eagle One or Earth Two. Did you notice that? Like you watch it and it's like, oh, that's cloudy Canada during some flight sequences, and then when the jet fighters come in, you're going. Hold on a second. I'm pretty sure I just saw mountains of uh, Israel uh, down there, and uh, that is footage from the first couple movies. F-16As, I think they had in that one. Okay. Um, Those look like different ones than what was in the first movie. Oh. Well, it's clearly footage from something else. Vidmark released the last entry, and Vidmark, uh, back around 1990, uh, did a deal with the production company of Iron Eagle to buy a ton of their footage, which they would reuse over and over and over. They made like five movies within a couple years period of time that used planes as the main focus. Into the Sun is probably the best of those with Michael Prey and Anthony Michael Hall. And it's kind of the same plot as The Hard Way where an actor is trying to uh, train for a movie and he comes to the real pilot and they get caught up in this whole thing. Uh, They use tons of footage that was left over from Iron Eagle 1. And uh, and then they would do a bunch of movies like B two or was that it the B two stealth bomber? 
they would do a bunch of movies like Interceptor and stuff like that. So Vidmark paid very well <laughs> and used that footage very well. Uh, but by this point, you know, I think it's the end of their little plane movies. So uh, Iron Eagle 4 surprises you by bringing back Doug Masters. What? Huh? What? Exactly. But it makes sense. What? It actually did make sense. When he finally explains how he was saved, you know, uh, you're like, oh, this is actually feasible. That he actually escaped right before the plane exploded, but no one saw him escape because, you know, right. uh, the hero of part two is being chased away, so he doesn't really see what happens. So he lands in Russia and is held captive for years, and he, and he has post-traumatic stress disorder from it. Completely right. broken man, drunk, can't hold a job. And that's when Chappie comes to give him a job at this training academy for troubled students. Gotcha. I okay, yeah, I'm reading on the plane here now with the F-16A. It says, first scene in the beginning of the film in an alternative take of the beginning of Iron Eagle 2, where Doug Masters bails out of his plane. Okay. Okay. That makes sense now. But I just feel like the plot is really pedestrian. This is borderline TV. Uh, the actors are really just young, and they haven't really done their craft you know you can just see right. a lot of raw talent um but it just hasn't been home so the movie just kind of plods along sydney j fury this is his last entry you think he would try a little harder but i feel like by then he was just like ah, i'm just gonna take the paycheck you know whatever i'm sorry i got a son walked in on me oh hello <laughs> anyway uh I totally missed what you just said. Man, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I just said, you know, Sidney J. Fury, the director of the first two, came back for the okay. fourth, but clearly he didn't seem to have any energy. You just don't feel it. Like, it's just, it's very subpar, and you feel like he's just collecting a paycheck and just being like, eh, whatever. Right. I don't, I'm looking at these names, and I don't recognize any of them. Yeah, they're just guys who would Louis. see show up in Canadian productions. You know, show up on Stargate, okay. or, uh, you know, I think one of them was in Clueless, and, you know, Psych. Right, that's about Dean it. McDermott. That's that name sounds familiar, well, but Dylan McDermott. No, Dean McDermott is one. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know anyway, I'll look into that at some other time. Yeah, I did figure out one cool thing about um, playing here. One of my favorite teams growing up was the Blue Angels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you ever get? Did you get to go see them when they were? In, uh, were you? I saw pictures when you and I went with uh, Irina and Dave. Okay, good. You were there. Okay, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Well, the Blue Angels have a plane they call Fat Albert, the C-130 that, that carries the planes everywhere. This thing's freaking huge. But that's one of the movies, that's one of the planes that are in that movie, where they loaded all the old warplanes into it uh, to take them where they needed to be. All right. Uh, I think that's how it went. Oh, I, I could just be talking out my butt. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, and we're, we're, talking, we're talking about part three, correct? Uh, am I talking about... Oh, shoot. No, 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 no. What the heck was that playing for? Ah. It's okay. Everybody nope, should, nope. I part four. Part four. Okay. It's part four. But how, how do you feel about part four now? Well, you had never even seen yeah. part four, have you? I That was the one I hadn't seen. Yeah, I tried and... a couple times before, and I just could not get through it. This last time I got through it, fine. It wasn't that bad, but I could feel like, yeah, this should be the end. Yeah, yeah I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't want to see Louie come back and do another one to be honest no but, but I would be interested in an update with Jason Gedrick being saved that'd be alright like Iron Eagle the next generation right right oh, here's a good one North American T6 Texan those are the planes that the kids were using at the flight school oh okay if I remember correctly the flight school well, flight school, 
it's I guess it's a flight school at our airport back in Huntington. They have a couple of those where they'll they'll teach you how to fly in those oh, Texans. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Little sliding canopies on top. There's always wanted to do that. Is can never afford it. Something about working at Papa John's it just doesn't make that feasible. Yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> All right, everybody. I said this is going to be a shorter episode. Clearly, I lied. <laughs> no, we're almost to the hour point, and we need time to wrap this up. Anything else you want to say about any of these movies? Um. Despite the pitfalls of some of them, I say definitely pick them all up and watch them. They're all definitely right. worth it. Do not pick up Top Gun for Nintendo, uh, even an on emulator. No. Because you will never land it. You will never land that plane. It will crash every single time you think you have it made. And then, whoosh, son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> you might land a controller once in a while. Yeah, land a controller. Just saying. The TV. Whoosh, ah, you broke another one. <laughs> All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under Full Throttle TV. Or, no, full, I'm sorry. I don't even remember what I named it. It's Full Throttle something, podcast or TV. Uh, you can see where we talk about the shows. And uh, also, uh, you can catch up on all the news with, like, retro cars and all experimental cars. Pretty much anything. Me, you, and Robert basically share what we find on the Internet that's worthy of your attention. Uh, so go to that page, like it. Uh, or you can just go to Retro Rock Entertainment, the main company that all of the podcasts are under. And uh, that we can get all our shows. And Ron, thank you yet again for uh, helping with this episode. And everybody, sorry about the delay between them. We're probably yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's spring break. Yeah, I'm sorry about yeah letting some of you down. Anyone you pop down there to get some information on planes and what have you. That's just not my forte. I hate to say that, but I love them. But I like planes. And uh, that being said, I'll be more prepared next time. Yeah, and the next episode we're gonna do is Riptide. I'm not sure if we're gonna do. A just Riptide or uh, add another show to it um, but I think maybe if we shorten what we discuss we can get through these episodes faster because when we first started what? like Ron Ron watch uh, three or four shows and watch tons of episodes from all of them it'd be like one episode every six weeks and it wasn't we weren't moving very fast all no right. <laughs> we'll get there yeah we're we working should, on it we we're, should, we're honing our craft yeah we should do trucker <laughs> flicks too at some point trucker <laughs> flicks I've been wanting to do Viper forever and ever, but I keep waiting for uh, VEI, a Canadian company, is supposed to be releasing the complete series, and they keep delaying it and delaying it and delaying it, and I keep having to delay the episode we discuss this because I want to watch it and help promote the release of the DVD, and it's they're not helping. No, they're not. Oh, I should say this real quick. Mill Creek uh, is a company that puts their DVDs in all these stores like uh, a, a Walmart and Kmart and whatnot. Uh, they are going to be releasing the complete series of Airwolf on Blu-ray for the first time ever for like eh, $70, $80. And on DVD, you can get them for a budget, which will be, I think, all four seasons for like 35 bucks. Nice. Yeah. They're going to be doing that now. They signed a deal with uh, Universal, so they're going to get uh, Magna P.I. and uh, A-Team, Miami Vice, shows that we've discussed for like nine bucks a season. It's going to be really good. About time. Yeah. Now, hopefully, Mill Creek will hear this and give us free DVDs. Right. This will never happen. We love you, Mill Creek. <laughs> we do. I want to have your DVD babies. <laughs> <laughs> that might hurt a little. Get me pregnant uh. with movies. <laughs> uh, can we do it like... Can we do it digitally and like with thumb drives? I don't know. CDs might hurt a little coming yeah, out. Yeah, you just ram it right in my ear and I'll just download it to my brain. Why aren't you listening? I'm watching season four of uh, uh, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Sorry, I've meandered on too long. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs> uh, take it easy.